This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Tour. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series. Whilst we're going through what I'm describing as the honeymoon series, the series of pre-recorded episodes to go out every morning at 8 a.m. when I would usually be doing the live show, but I can't, despite every cell in my body willing me to try and do it, even in Mauritius, I am not going to do it, and I'm instead going to try and continue a happy marriage. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Andrew, a.k.a. Askblog. How are you doing, mate? You good? You well? I'm good. Thank you very much. It's a sensible decision not to broadcast live <laughs> every morning while you're on your honeymoon. I can uh, say that yes. with experience. Not that I've tried, but I know what <laughs> happened if I tried. And congratulations on your, Thank you. your nuptials and uh, wishing you and your lovely lady a very happy life together. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if there was anyone else that could push the boundaries of podcasting into potentially, you know, family honeymoons, you know, potentially <laughs> you would have been up there in my top three. But right. uh, but yeah, uh, it's uh, it's going to be strange not doing it. But I'm glad that there's going to be something, of course, for the listeners who thank you for tuning in, by the way, are, are here and, and, and here for it. The yeah, the, it's been interesting trying to come up with different topics for these shows, of course, because evergreen content, especially when we don't know when games are going to be happening, especially with postponements as they have been. One moment I was recording recording thinking the Brentford game wasn't going to happen. Now it, I'm recording knowing it is going to happen. Of course, this will go out after the Brentford game has taken place. So there's context to that. But what I thought would be quite a cool idea to, for us to sit down and have a chat about is kind of what I'm describing as the Arsenal end game, which is where is this going under Arteta and how does he take us to where we want that or where we potentially think it can be? So to start off, I want to kind of talk about how we got to where we are under Arteta. Because when he took over and Arsenal were in 11th place in the league, Andrew, it was one of the lowest points I remember, to be honest, as an Arsenal fan. And to mm. be honest, finishing in back-to-back eighth-place positions, I don't think necessarily changed too many minds as to whether or not we were indeed moving in the right direction. So give me kind of your perspective of your feelings around that 18 or so months that led us to two back-to-back eighth-place finishes and how you were feeling at the end of those seasons. It's It's a weird one because... I think everybody understood when it went wrong for Unai Emery that he was like the wrong guy 
at the wrong club at the wrong time. The the way that the post Wenger structure fell apart as well was not healthy, was it? With uh, Gazidis leaving, Mislintat leaving, uh, left Rouse and Yehi with a lot of power, um, and I don't know that he was you know the right man to to do the job that that he was doing. And Mikel Arteta came in when the club was at a very low point, and I, I'm sure you remember. I'm sure the listeners remember as well when we played Manchester City maybe a week or so before he was announced. I can't quite remember the, the time frame exactly. Mm. But it was a terrible Arsenal performance. We got turned over 3-0. City never had to get out of first gear. And you could see there were shots of Arteta on the bench, sort of looking around, looking at the team, looking at the state of everything and, and thinking, oh, this is a big job. And to be fair, he said that when he came in. He talked about needing to change things, needing to change the culture, change how the, the, the everyone lives together, I think was the way he, he spoke about it. And I think if you go back in time and you said to people, this is going to be a long-term, medium to long-term project to get this club back to where it, it, it needs to be, I think most people would have said, yeah, it is. Yeah, it makes sense. We've tried the quick fixes. They even tried some quick fixes when Mikel Arteta was, was there. You know, there were some signings that didn't make a lot of sense and we maybe don't need to go over those uh, to, to a huge extent. But, you know, it was it was obvious that this was something that was going to take time. The problem is, of course, is that like when you're a football manager, when you're a football club, when you're a club, the stature of Arsenal, it's all well and good saying we need time. We need time to build this. We need a plan, you know. Yeah. When you're losing games, when performances aren't good, when you're not scoring goals, when you know you're you're losing to teams you shouldn't lose to, when you get hockey by Liverpool or Manchester City, it it it's very difficult to maintain that perspective, isn't it? Because football, um, you know, common sense will tell you it does take time to build things, but at the same time, you've got to go out on a Saturday or a Wednesday or a Thursday or whenever whenever it is and keep the fans happy because you don't get time unless you get results. So I think that's been the most interesting aspect of this is that the 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 knowledge that I think most people had that this was going to be something medium to long term, but the frustration of experiencing poor performances and, and bad defeats and league positions, which I don't think are befitting of a, a club like Arsenal. Mm, yeah, they wasn't. And it, it, I think as a fan as well, it's really hard to to see that league position. But at the same time, even though the, the finishes weren't the best, you could clearly, I think, see what Arteta was trying to change. Do you think there was a, an element of Arsenal had been on a bit of a downward slope for some time? And it was about kind of not only just putting the brakes on, but as we know, when you put the brakes on a car, your car don't stop immediately. You know, it, it takes time before it comes to a stop and then you can re-accelerate again. Um, and I felt as though those two eighth-place finishes kind of could be summed up a bit like that, is that we were putting the brakes on this slope, but you're still going down that slope whilst you're braking. And the main kind of turn, I think, was when we had the summer of 2021, which was a recruitment drive, not of scattergunning players that we think would 
come in and immediately be a success like like you alluded to and we've seen them in the past with signs like Willian etc that, that came in and we thought they'd give us kind of an immediate boost I suppose the signing of Aubameyang and and us, to a lesser extent I guess Lacazette as well were kind of around trying to boosting those two positions key and responding to the exits of the likes of Alexis Sanchez of course too um, but they were signings all under the age of or the age of 23 and under with the idea of I think Edu described it of rebalancing the squat when we had that summer, did that kind of set off a little bit of a light bulb in your head or a little bit of a switch in your head thinking, okay, yeah, I can kind of see what the plan is now around the process to leading us back to where we want to be? Yeah, like I'd, I'd be fascinated to know at what point that plan was come yeah. up with, when they sat down and strategized and said like, you know, because clearly when they signed Willian, they must have thought maybe we can just give the team that little bit of a, you know, whatever it yeah. is, his experience, you know, he won a lot at Chelsea, very experienced player, really didn't work out for us. Um, I think it was a terrible, terrible signing. Um, and I don't know that you make a signing like that if in your mind the strategy is to buy young and develop a team. I think maybe that signing changed the way they were were going to do things. I think you have to go back a bit because – you know, we, we, we look at that summer, and I think you're absolutely right to mark that down as the point where things began to change for the better because we got – we they restored faith, didn't they, in their ability to recruit well because we mm-hmm. – we, it was shaken because we had too many signings that didn't really work out, too many short-term signings. Um, But you look at those positions that they filled, you look at the age profiles of the player, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we could all get behind that. They did restore some faith. So I do think that is kind of like a marker, but it's a bit down the line. What, What I think one of the challenges that he had to face was a, was a dressing room that was very comfortable, perhaps overly comfortable where there were some big personalities where there were probably some cliques, which weren't at all helpful. And I think you go back to the summer of 2020. Um, was it 2020 when lockdown started? It was, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it was. Summer of yeah. 2020 when lockdown started, right? So wh- when we came back from lockdown and we saw Mikel Arteta put his foot down as a disciplinarian mm. in the way that he dealt with, with Mesut Ozil, people will have their own opinions on that, whether they like it, dislike it, whatever it might be. Um, but he was absolutely 100% committed to the decision that he made. And he felt, you know, assured that he would have the backing of the the club on that decision. Similarly, Matteo Genduzzi, a player who's who had disciplinary issues behind the scenes. People chalk it down to that incident with with Neil Mopé in the in the Brighton game it, it wasn't that it was it was a collection of things and he put his foot down again and what he did I think was try and break up some of the cliques within the dressing room to change the culture to ensure that the players he had were going to be on board with what it was he was doing and I think that's management 101 isn't it? You go into any job, you know, go into an office job and you're parachuted in as a manager or whatever it is. You're going to take a bit of time to see who's up to the job, who's not, who works hard, who's disruptive, whatever it is. Hmm. I think it's football management 101. You go in and you say, well, look, actually, this guy's really talented, but, you know, everything about him is 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 a problem. And we've got to do something about that problem. And the nuclear option is 
you know, as we saw with Mesut Ozil, was to leave him out of the squad. And and that's a huge decision, you know, particularly when Arteta and Ozil were, were former teammates as well. Yeah. You know, they won FA Cups together. You know, so I think you have to go back to that moment as, as um, like that could have been a make or break moment, you know, where player power could have triumphed as it has done in the past, but it didn't. And I think that gave him a measure of authority um, within the squad. Because, I mean, if you're in the squad and you're thinking, well, look, if he, if he can do that to one of the biggest names that Arsenal have had for so many years, then he could do it to me, he could do it to that guy. Um, and I, I think it was, a you know, it created still an unhealthy situation which went on for some time because Ozil was excluded, Ganduzi yeah. was excluded. Um I think Ganduzi went out on loan, didn't he? And then, you know, mm-hmm. then and Ozil wasn't named in the squad for the next season. And that was like, I mean, it was it was an un- unhealthy situation, mm-hmm. but one where ultimately he came out on top. Um, and I know people's mileage over Messi and Ozil will vary one way or the other, but I, I think you need to go back to that and say, okay, he 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 was very clear at least in terms of what he wanted from his players, what he demanded from his players. If you're not giving it to him, you're out. Simple as that. And, you know, when we think about the squad now and we think about the buy-in and when we think about the way the team, it feels very together, doesn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. Don't, I don't know that you get that without having to go through those difficult moments with with a situation like the Ozil situation and, and other players like Mustafi, like Socrates, like Kolasinac, all gone. Mm part of that kind of clique you know experienced Ginduzi not so much but the others you know these experienced players who you know want to do things their way and um I think when you're a young manager in particular it, it takes a lot of stones to do that um and I think that's quite an interesting marking point in in where we are now I don't think we would be where we are now without those tough mm. decisions and those tough months yeah, I mean, Arteta to me feels like a manager that that would be willing to, you know, fall on his sword. Like that's that's how he comes across to me. That he's he's so set by the kind of the principles that he has that he he will, you know, it, that that's what he's going to stick to. Yes, I still think that I does that doesn't mean he can't learn as a coach. Doesn't mean he can't learn from errors that have been made, especially I think in the transfer market, potentially even on the field, you know. And as a coach is inexperienced because he is inexperienced. This is his first job. He is going to have to be open to change and be malleable. But there are certainly these non-negotiables as he established in his first press conference that he has stuck by. And I think, you know, fair play to him. And I think that, as you alluded to a second ago, you know, we are where we are because of that. And that is really key. I mean, it's quite Um, interesting, Tom, just to sort of expand on this. Um, I mentioned this on the podcast, but I was listening to Carlo Ancelotti's uh, book Mm. uh, about leadership recently. Um, And one of the things that he talks about is are non-negotiables that you have to have respect. Like as a manager, you have to have respect from your players and you as a manager have to respect your players as as professionals, as human beings. But he makes it very clear that if you have got uh, people in your dressing room who aren't going to be on board, then either you deal with it or ultimately you're going to be dealt with by the damage that that causes, may cause the team and everything else. So you know, the non-negotiables thing is something that people talk about in relation to Mikel Arteta, but I think the phrase was coined, um, to my knowledge anyway, by Ancelotti. And people think about Ancelotti as a manager, you know, very calm, easygoing, uh, affable guy. All the players love him. But when you've got to make a tough decision, 
Mm. You've got to make a tough decision and you don't have the career and the success that Carlo Ancelotti has had without being able to make those decisions as nice as you are or as, as, as open as you are to making, you know, being in inverted commas friends with your players. Yeah. You, you've got to be able to do those things as well. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, he was former teammate of Ozil. He still is a former teammate of Rob Holding in, in the squad as well. And that that dynamic in itself was always something that if you're coming in, you have to address absolutely from day one because you can't have that sense that other players feel as though there's favouritism because you've played with them and you know, you're going to give them more rope because they're yeah. an ex-teammate. And I think that he absolutely did end up dealing with that. Did you, People did you have see different the comments? Sorry, I mean, did you see the comments he made about Hector Bellerin when Hector yeah. left? And he said when he had a conversation that they yeah, hadn't had since that they were teammates, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like and, and Arteta really took when when Bellerin arrived, he, he took him under his wing, um, you know, made sure he was settling in all right, brought him over to the house to make sure he got fed mm. and all that kind of stuff. And they were friends. But the, yeah. the, the relationship changes when it's a manager player relationship. And you know, I thought that was quite interesting. You know, after Hector left, he said, I can have a conversation with him like I used to have. Because yeah. You have to have a certain amount of distance, and and that's got to be a tough thing to do. You know, if you've got a relationship with somebody like, you know, to, tomorrow, you know, someone who's your friend becomes your boss. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> you know yeah, it is yeah. a tough one for for you and for you know if it was me and you if oh, tomorrow I become your boss, <laughs> then it's it is a tough one. You know, um, you know I'd be a hard podcasting match. on the honeymoon rule one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get your ass yeah. up the beach and into the studio. Uh, Indeed. Um, yeah, look, I think that what we experience and have experienced since those decision-making processes is obviously a benefit from Team Harmony. We've seen the, the culture within the group change. We've seen the connection between the fans and the group massively improve. Um, you know, one of the shows we're doing over this series of a chat with, with Sophie and Kevin Campbell from the Highbury Squad about the evolution of kind of the Arsenal fan base's atmosphere around the club in the last few years. We go from kind of the lowest point we can remember to where we are now, which I, I look to as genuinely a peak that I can't remember until way back when that we were winning things, you know, and, and when I say things, I mean titles. So, you know, it's it, it, it feels so different because of the decision-making of Arteta in that sense. But kind of going, going back, you know, um, I know I mentioned that the summer of 2021, but just before that point, you know, there was for me a time where I can probably say, and I don't like the labels that we have with Arteta in and out and this stuff, but there was a time where I really didn't see a way forward for Arteta, which was after that elimination from the Europa League to our former coach Unai Emery. And of course, you're languishing and we're finishing outside of the European places for the first time in goodness knows how many years. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, if this is a process, where's it going? Is he capable of kind of achieving it? Did Let me ask you about kind of any doubts that you had during that moment. Did you have doubts and were you ever tempted to think, oh, I'm not really sure this guy is the one that's going to bring us forward? You know, for me, it was always about, I always liked the way he spoke. I like what he said. I like what he, the way he talked about what he wants for the club. You know, first and foremost, what does he want for the, for the club? Like the standards mm. that he wants to set at the football club. Like the, 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 you know, the mindset must be, we're going to win every game. Every single game we play, we are going to win it. And we're going to challenge and we're going to try and win things and be successful. And I think, you know, that's that's the way you've got to set up, right? That's the way you've got to set up as a coach. You've got to be 
you've got to have that. And I think if you want to be a big club, you have to have that. You've got to be, you know, you've got to be just laser focused on winning every single game, the next game, the next game, the next game. So when it came to talking about what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it, I was always really on board. I was always really encouraged. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that, you know, I think most people will have had a certain amount of doubt when we've had, you know, poor runs of form, when, when games we should have won, maybe we overthought. You mentioned the Villarreal semi-final. Perhaps that's one of them. I know we did have some injury problems, but but there you go. Um, you finish eighth out of Europe. Of course, it's you have to have some doubts. You 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 absolutely have to. Um, but I think what what was encouraging or interesting about that was that's when that summer that you mentioned at the top comes in. That's where they obviously sat down and thought, right, we have got to do, we've got to be smart about what we do and how we do it. Um, And we've got to have some money to do it as well. And to be fair, the money has been there um, quite a significant amount of money as well. So the backing that he got from the club from the owners, from the board, however you want to call it. Um, I, I think, you know, in a situation like this, what do you do if you if you say you're on a medium to long-term project and you have faith in that, but like there are these stumbling blocks along mm-hmm. the way, if you still believe that you're going to go where you need to go, it is the maybe the toughest thing in football is to is to just stick stick rather than twist because football clubs twist all the time. Fan pressure, media pressure, whatever it is, you know, and the owners or whoever's making the decision thinks, you know what, maybe we'll get another guy in. But to me, it always felt like Arteta was, like Emery was trying to, let me make an analogy. Hmm. Arsene Wenger built an incredible sandcastle. And the tide came in, and Unai Emery was trying to salvage that sandcastle. Yeah. Hope I'm getting flashbacks home, to my youth all of a sudden. <laughs> right in front of it, yeah. but he comes in. The, you can't stop the tide. Mm. You just can't stop the tide. And the tide's gone back out, and Mikel Arteta is hopefully building a new sandcastle, but a little bit further back. On the yeah. Beach. One that might last a bit longer. So I think if you if you think about it from that perspective, you're asking a guy to, like you say, put the brakes on, halt a trajectory, which was going downwards and then uh, level out and then go back up again. And it feels, you know, we're very few games into this season, but it feels like we're going in the right direction. Like the trajectory has changed in terms of a, how we play, b what we're capable of. And, and I suppose C, the expectations that people would have for this season based on what we saw from this team, an an imperfect team last season, right? We all know it was imperfect, but it came very close to achieving something that everyone would have been really, really happy with. So now it's about, you know, maintaining that and and keeping that trajectory going. And I think the fact that the club had so much faith in what he was doing and how he was going to do it, that was the thing that, that sort of, um, 
I won't say stop me from tipping over the edge, mm. but, but always, I was like a, a lifeline in a way where, you know, you, you can't be happy if you're Arsenal and you finish eighth. You just can't. But, you know, it, it's going back to what I was saying at the start, that this is this is a, a medium to long-term thing. And, and uh, he changed a lot uh, along the way. And, and I think most of what he has changed has been for the better, you know? And I think part of, part of what my my main concern was, was just the football wasn't really what I thought it was going to be for yeah. a guy who, who was brought up at Barcelona, who played under Arsene Wenger, who worked with Pep Guardiola. It just wasn't quite what I wanted it to be from him. And I'm sort of happy now because I don't think it's what he wanted either. I don't, he always said like, I, we need to score, hundred goals a season, whatever it is. He said, when we get the ball and we're, you know, we've got to make a hundred thousand passes in midfield, you know, control the games, be ruthless, be efficient. And I think we're getting more, we're more like that now than we were, you know, certainly 12 months ago. That's for sure. And yeah. You know, eight months ago as well, you know, definitely. Yeah, indeed. I mean, there were games last season that we absolutely, you know, a season before that or, the, or a few couple of seasons before that, we don't pick up the points. Um, mm. You know, we lost too many games last season. You know, 13 is a, is a lot of games to lose. And we need to, that's one of the key things to turn the, those losses into draws and then some of those draws in, into wins. And that's obviously just the natural way you're going to find progression up the table. But, you know, I think that as that brings kind of an end to the first half of, of this chat around how we've got to where we are now, the second half of the conversation for me is split into two parts, which is when talking about where Arsenal have to go somewhere, there's two aspects. There's the, the team, the players, the, the, you know, the, the, the tools you have to work with, and then the person, of course, who's harnessing those tools. So let, let's talk about the team first, which I actually think is the easier conversation, ironically, because everyone loves transfers to an extent. We are talking about a shiny new toy in, in the team. We've managed to bring in, I, I think, some excellent players this summer in Zinchenko and Jesus in particular. You know, Fabio Vieira looks like he's got the makings of someone who could be quite special. And I think Arteta was right to say that we should look forward to enjoy what we're going to see from him. And then you've got players, you know, like Turner and Marquinhos that are a squad, but, you know, Marquinhos looks to be exciting as well coming through. Yeah. So... We have this starting eleven, which I think if we think about what our best eleven is, it's it's the eleven that's taken to most of the games this season when Partey and Zinchenko, of course, have been fit. Mm. Um, the right back situation's up in the air a bit, but I don't mind that because I think White's done fantastically well. There's a, a few great stats coming out about his season already. But when you're talking about kind of the end game, and I think just to kind of level that out, is the end game has to be getting Arsenal back to winning Premier League titles and you know into the Champions League and competing to try and win them. So when you look at that as the end game for what Arsenal is and maintaining that, where does the squad need to be for you compared to where it is now? Oh, I mean, there's a $64,000 question. I mean, look, the thing is, you just keep adding quality. You've got to add and develop quality in your squad. Um, you've got to fill the gaps where there are gaps, where players are not performing. Thank you very much. On you go. We bring in somebody else who can. Uh, and I think we're seeing elements of that already. You know, um, we lost two strikers last season. We brought in Gabriel Jesus, um, you know, big signing has really changed the way we play and the way we can play. Um, but maybe if you're looking for an end game, you you look for another striker um, with all due respect to Eddie and I'm not writing Eddie off or anything like mm -hmm. that, but you want, you want as much competition as there is possible for places. I'm like you with the right back situation. I love Tommy Asu. 
Mm. Absolutely thought he was brilliant in the first half of last season. But Ben White has been great this season. Um, at centre half, Saliba and Gabriel, great, well done. But we've got options as well. If one of them loses form, Ben White can come in, Tommy Asu can come back, Tierney and Zinchenko. I remember this time, well, maybe it wasn't this time last year, but there was certainly a point last season where people were talking about Kieran Tierney when Nuno Tavares came in and had a couple of good games and people were going, mm. oh, is this the end for Kieran Tierney? <laughs> well, you know, we're so fickle, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that is, it is the nature of football fans that yeah. as soon as somebody else comes along, it's, it's sort of happening to an extent right now with, with Emile Smith-Rowe because we've got some worries about him um, yeah. with his injuries, right? Hasn't really played this season, didn't really play a lot towards the end of last season. Um, still ended up with double figures in goals by the way um yeah. but people are going like oh is he too injury prone should we cash in now you know you're thinking just get get the guy fit and bring him back into the squad and it gives you more options it's like we you can use five substitutes we're playing europa league football this is a fixture list which is going to be absolutely insane in october and probably insane in the second half of the season as well. You know, yeah. if Arsenal continue to go the distance in the Europa League. So we are going to need every single player that we've got. And, you know, uh, your favorite or his favorite or her favorite at some point is either going to need a sit down or is going to break down. And we're going to have to deal with that. We're going to have to use the full extent of our squad. So, you know, you need more than 11 players and you can love the starting 11 that we have, but be open to the idea that, that other players will contribute and have to contribute if we want to get to where we want to go. And I think that's then true for basically every position on the pitch. So we're talking about Tommy Asu and White for yeah. right back. Right, replicate that. Replicate that at centre half. So it's Saliba and well, it could be Saliba and White, but it's Gabriel and, and who? Yeah. There's one. Zinchenko and Tierney, there's a brilliant one. Martinelli, Smith Rowe, that's good. Partey and who? Mm. Yeah. Shaka and maybe Vieira, maybe. you know, Martin Odegaard and Vieira's there, Bukayo Saka and who, mm. you know? So there are, there are things that you can do with the squad to, to um, boost the depth and boost the quality. And, and I think that's what you've got to do. You've got, you've just got to keep building and keep building. There will be some natural attrition. There'll be some players who go, some players who don't make it. Maybe, you know, a player we don't want to leave all of a sudden wants to leave. They could have their head turned. This is another interesting aspect of getting good again that people have forgotten is that when you're good, other clubs want your players. Mm. We're mm. going crazy because we can't get rid of them. We're just going, we can't even give them away. Yeah, and it's yeah. frustrating for us, but wait for it the shoe will be on the other foot at some point because when you're good when you're 20 years old and you're gabriel martinelli and you're you know banging in 15 goals and getting 10 assists in a season who wakes up Bayern munich real madrid barcelona mm -hmm. uh, well i don't know what barcelona you know they'll have to sell no one knows <laughs> to, to make another sunny but this is what i mean yeah. manchester city mm -hmm. you know these are things that we're going to have to deal with as well but that's a better problem to have, I think, than um, than the one, you know, where you just can't get rid of players and you're giving them away and nobody even wants them. But that's what I mean. I think that's what we've got to do. We've just got to keep building and keep building. And I think maybe the last couple of windows have been um, very busy. When you think about it was six players last summer, five yeah. players this summer. Yeah. I think what you're looking to do now is one or two 
in a summer, mm. but good ones, you know, not squad players, you know, guys who are going to come in and, and, and be ready to go and, and hit the ground running. So I think that's what you do. And, you know, to, to the club's credit, they've got to a point where I think they can do that. Whereas when you thought about the squad 12 months, 18 months ago, before the end of, you know, the 2021 season, when you thought about that squad, you could say, get rid of like most of them and just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, start again, rip it all up and start again. Whereas now we're looking to, we're looking to add some turrets to the sandcastle. Indeed, yeah. I'm loving this sandcastle <laughs> analogy. It's going to keep going back. No, I think, it, you know, there's another aspect, I think, as well, is that, you know, we've gone through the players and we've listed off positions, but there are players in that that we would say that we we, we keep that probably will move on, you know. Mm. Players at Liverpool, Coutinho, Suarez, moved on despite them pushing towards Champions League and Premier League victories. Manchester City have seen players move on, Leroy Sané being a good example, mm. you know. So Arsenal will lose players, I think, that are in our starting eleven right now as we still try and progress. And I think ruthlessness is is part of that as well. If you can recognise a better player than Thomas Partey, go out and get them. If you can recognise and get a better player than Tommy Asu or Wyatt right back, go out and get them because that's the way in which you go forwards. I mean, you think of how many players that you know we would have loved to have had in that Man City team from a three, four years ago that they've gone, actually, no, we can find a better player than you. You know, we can bring in Israel Cancelo. You know, we can bring in someone of that kind of ilk and, and be amazing. So, yeah, we can have, you know, Gabriel Jesus. But no, we'll take Erling Haaland in, instead, you know. And <laughs> the fact that they can afford to let go of someone as good as Jesus, as we're recognising, is kind of sure. a, a representation of their level. So the second part, of course, of, of the end game is, is the manager. And he's, as I said, still inexperienced. He's, he's only been in a first team managerial position for three and a bit years now. Um, 2019, December, of course, when he came in. So June what for you? Not even three years. It'll be three years in December. What? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I, I think that misconception, because is it what it's his, this is his fourth season technically, because, you know, he came over in 2019, mm. 20, then you've gone through two full seasons and now we're in his fourth season with the team. So it's, it's easy, I suppose, to, to realise how little actually in terms of time mm. he's been here. So, if, if Arsenal were going to get to their end game, which is, as we say, is wanting to get back to winning these things, do you see a coach in Arteta being able to take us there? And if you do, what is it about him that you see in? And what is there still to kind of piece together the puzzle of, of Arteta to make him a manager capable of that? Uh, I mean, that's such a difficult question because... Mm. Um, you know, it's so hard to predict, isn't it? It's so hard to predict yeah, yeah, what will happen in football. I think what you would you would say about Mikel Arteta is that he is unquestionably a fighter. Um, he's been under periods of really, really intense pressure and scrutiny and, and managed maybe by the skin of his teeth a couple of times to hang on, but he's hung on. And, you know, I think the, the 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 elephant in the room is is Man City, and maybe yeah, at some yeah. point in the future it might be Newcastle, depending on the money that they're going to spend. Um, that as much as we want Arsenal to win the title, maybe we have to redefine what success is for this football club because, you know, like you say, we all love Gabriel Jesus because he's he's fantastic. But Man City have just gone out and replaced him with a machine that yeah, just scores yeah. goals. Um, and they can spend in, in every position. I, I think what it is, is you've got to have the ambition. 
you've got to at least try and um, bridge that gap as hard as it might be. Like, it's really difficult to see an Arsenal team under any manager I can think of getting 90-plus points. You know. When you look at Liverpool, though, I mean, you look at how Liverpool built under Klopp, you know. Sure, sure. But, I mean, Klopp had come to Liverpool on the back of, you know, many years of experience. Yeah. Having one, like, I'm not saying it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. But winning the Bundesliga with Dortmund, Borussia Dortmund, when you're fighting with Bayern Munich every season is kind of, you know, I know Liverpool is a much more uh, storied club than than Borussia Dortmund. Uh, you know, they've won more in their history. Mm. But contextually. Contextually, you know, you're looking yeah. at, uh, he had to rebuild. He had to go in there and rebuild. One of his first, did he come in at the end of his, lose a European final in his first season, was it? Yeah, severe, I think it was. Yeah, it? you know, so yeah. to Unai Emery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, Emery's done for a few of them along the way. Um, so, you know, to try and and put that on Arteta or expect that from Arteta, I don't know. I mean, I hope so. I really yeah, do. Yeah. I mean, I I can see progress. I can see him learning. I don't think any manager I can think of in their first job has ever had so many things to deal with on the pitch and off the pitch than Mikel Arteta. And what mm. a learning curve it is. And I suppose it will depend on how quickly he learns how well he learns. I mean, he comes across as a smart guy, you know, fairly self-aware, not at all blind to the challenges of the job. Um, And I think that's probably the thing that gives me, you know, the most, the most hope is that he, he does know, where we are. He does know where we want to get to as a football club. The question is in the context of the modern Premier League with what you're fighting against, you know, is it possible to get there? Like what would we be happy with like four or five seasons in the Champions League? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody would be happy with the Champions League now, but once you get in there, you want to get the next step. Um, you know, I want to see Arsenal win a title again really badly really badly uh, it's been too long um and, and i feel maybe like we've got our best chance of 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 getting there with this kind of a setup whether it's Mikel arteta or whether it's somebody else that takes it a bit further on you know i i don't quite know you remember liverpool finished second wasn't it under brandon rogers yeah there was jürgen klopp who came along then and and True. I won't say applied the finishing pieces, but but made them a much better team. Yeah, so yeah. maybe it's a, a similar situation where Arteta builds something and somebody else then comes along and mm-hmm. looks at Arsenal and says, well, this is a very attractive proposition. This is a nicely run club, good players, you know, good quality, add a couple more and I could do, you know. So maybe that's what it is. But I, I think for now, it's it's really about, do you feel confident that we can maintain the progress? Mm-hmm. And I think right now I do. Right now, I feel like the this group of players, the staff, the manager, the fans, there's something brewing. There's something happening. We can feel mm-hmm. it. There's something stirring within the collective. And I know not everybody's happy, but not everybody is going to be happy. That's just the way football works. I remember people, when the Invincibles um, were drawing games, people were complaining, we're drawing too many games. 
I mean, that's as close to perfection as a football team you'll ever see, and still people yeah. were unhappy. So that's the human nature <laughs> of football fans. So for me, really, it's like if I thought about like Arsenal winning the title again uh, versus what we've got to compete with to do it, I think I'd depress myself. For now, I think I need to just see the team continue its progress, continue its development, continue to grow together. It's still pretty young, this team. Hmm. There are players who are going to get a lot better. And I think maybe now the the biggest challenge we have isn't isn't really thinking about winning the league. It's about making sure that these guys stay together and that the, the jewels in the crown, so to speak, are part of this project for, for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find it really interesting when you brought up Rodgers because so many people look at Arteta and go, oh, you know, I can see the similarities between Klopp and Liverpool. But actually, you know, when you consider it from the Rogers perspective, there there is a lot of similarities there as well. Mm. And I think that's going to be what defines Arteta. Is he Brendan Rogers? Is he the guy that takes Arsenal to the, the step before the final step, the final mm. piece of the puzzle? Or is he Klopp? Is he the guy that comes in and takes Arsenal back to the top again? And mm. that's an answer that we'll find out. But as you say, football is so incredibly difficult to predict. And that's why I'm so annoying when I ask those types of questions. But I appreciate you giving it your best shot. <laughs> uh, Andrew, thank you so much for your time this evening. I really appreciate it. Uh, as always, a genuine pleasure having a chat when you jump onto the channel. So do tell people uh, where they can find you. Uh, arsblog.com. Um, you'll find everything there. All the blog and news and podcasts and, and everything else and Ars blog on, on Twitter and uh, yeah, I'm around I'm around, I'm not on a future <laughs> Mauritius though, I can tell you that for Indeed, that's where I'll be um, I hope that wherever you happen to be listening in the world that you've enjoyed this chat uh, if you have, do drop a like on the video, do subscribe to the channel and do make sure you're subscribed of course to the Arscast uh, over on all of the audio platforms, you'll find them there um, and join up as a patron, it's definitely worth it, brilliant extra content Thanks, as well um, absolutely, we will see you uh, tomorrow morning for the next show whenever this one goes out in the order of which I haven't decided yet but I hope you are enjoying the content and what's to come as well I'll see you again very very soon and as always up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your Mook delivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.